Our scripture reading today is the words of Jesus himself and recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. We're thinking today about spiritual leadership in the family and in the church. And no more profound words could be spoken than these of our Savior. So stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together Mark 10, 42 through 45. I'll read verse 42. We'll read verse 43 together and down through 45. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'd appreciate if you'd pray for Diane and I, and also for uh, David and Kim Brown as we fly out this afternoon to Chicago, uh, where we will be at the uh, Interim Pastor Ministry Summit, led by Tom Harris, the Executive Director, and there'll be a gathering of uh, 170 or so uh, interim pastors and their wives uh, for our annual summit. This is my first one. Uh, David's gone to several. He's the song leader at the summit, and uh, so uh, really it'll be the the three of us, uh, Tom and David and I, ministering together. Uh, Tom has asked me to speak at the final session on Wednesday morning, and I hope everybody doesn't leave early. Um, I was thinking they ought to give away the door prize at the end of my message. You know, maybe that would do it. I don't know. But uh, pray for us as, uh, as David and Tom and I will be ministering, and, and uh, as Kim and Diane will be attending uh, ladies' uh, sessions there as well. So that's uh, this week in Chicago. Uh, this message and next Sunday's message, next Sunday is Father's Day. You all remembered that, right? Yeah, okay, get working on, you know, buying that Walmart card and everything, you know, uh, and bake it his favorite cake or something. But uh, yeah, Father's Day is next week, uh, but we're kind of having a, a pre-Father's Day message today and next week because these two go together in First Timothy chapter 3. And uh, so, ladies, you're off the hook today and next week. Uh, so I'm not going to be preaching to you. I'm preaching to the men today. Uh, and I'd rather you wouldn't do the sharp elbow thing, okay? So even though I might make a good point that you want your husband, and even though he may be dozing just a little bit, please don't do the sharp elbow thing, okay? Because... Uh, we don't want uh, too much emphasis on this. But anyways, I'm going to be preaching to the men uh, today and uh, next week from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll be looking just at the first verse today, and then we'll be taking verses 2 through 7 next week. And it kind of is a, a two-part message. Uh, the first one 
uh, introduces the whole idea of servant leadership. And then next week, uh, we'll be dealing with the qualifications uh, of servant leadership in the home and family, which is really God's uh, Bible college and seminary for the church, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm all in favor of uh, Bible college and seminary. I went to both of them. But I'll tell you what, uh, there's more to be learned in the leadership of our family uh, than anything else for the leadership of God's church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's bow in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. It is true. It is right. We can base our lives upon it, and we thank you for your word. Uh, may your word be uh, our authority today. May we hear from you what you have to say to us. And I pray especially for the men here today that you would strengthen and focus uh, each godly man in this church to be all that you want us to be in our family and here in this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text for today is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, just one verse. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Men, what is your ambition? You say, is ambition okay? Yeah, ambition ambition's a good thing as long as it's a good thing that you have ambition for. I hope you are ambitious. I hope you are the kind of man who has goals and desires. But I want to talk to you about your ambitions, your aspirations, your desires today. Because the Apostle Paul here instructs Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, that he should encourage the men to aspire to spiritual leadership in the church, which we know from the qualifications in chapter 3 is preceded by spiritual leadership in the home. I want to start with that little phrase, this is a trustworthy statement. Those exact words are used five different times in the pastoral epistles, that is the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. In a day before the printing press, when individual Christians did not generally own their own copy of the Bible, Christians memorized verses. And I believe that these five were especially memorized by Christians in the early church. These are faithful sayings, that is, things that could be memorable. I have a friend of mine, Walter Croom, who lives over in the Jacksonville area of North Carolina, and uh, he's a very dear friend of mine. He's written several books and uh, has a Ph.D. and very highly educated person. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, my mother was the wisest person I have ever known. And she had sayings that have stuck with me all through my life. And what I want to do is publish a book of my mother's sayings. So I said to Walt, I said, so what were some of them? He said, well, she always used to say a stitch in nine saves time. And a penny saved is a penny earned. 
I said, Walt, your mother didn't make that up. <laughs> That's Ben Franklin. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry about your book and all that. I hope you weren't planning on the royalties. But, you know, uh, that was Ben Franklin. Yeah, we have more of those, don't we? No pain, no gain. Have you heard that one? Yeah. I'm getting more into the if you don't use it, you'll lose it uh, phase of life. Yeah. We have these little aphorisms, these little sayings that kind of stick with us, these wise sayings. It's interesting to look at these five that Paul mentions. The first one is found in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, Paul added, of whom I am chief. That was his personal addition. But the saying was, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is a purpose statement. Churches have purpose statements. People have purpose statements. What is your purpose How many of you have read The Purpose Driven Life? I have. Great book. Great book. Yeah. Purpose Driven. Do you have a purpose? It's the why we are doing what we're doing. Jesus had a purpose. He set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he was born to die. He was born to die as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he was determined to do it in the way and at the time in every manner as prophesied in the Scriptures. He had a purpose. He came into the world to save sinners. Aren't you glad he came to save sinners? He didn't come to save the righteous, the people who thought they were already there. He came for guilty sinners like you and me. Someone said to C.S. Lewis, Christians don't seem to be very good people. He said, you should have seen them before they were saved. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There's another one in 1 Timothy 4, 8 and 9. I like this one in a day of exercise. Have you all been to the gym? Yeah, you did your exercises? I'm still using a Jack LaLanne video. That's how old I am. Yeah. Here it is, 1 Timothy 4, 8 and 9. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily exercise is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What's this talking about? It's talking about your daily habits. Do you have habits? Yeah, you do. You have things you do every day. Is one of those things reading the Bible and praying? Do you have a habit of reading the Bible and praying? You see, that is spiritual exercise. And it may not pay off the first day or the second day, kind of like that diet, you know? Somebody said, these thin mints aren't working, you know, (laughs) whatever diet you're on, you know? And you, and you check the scale the first day to see how it's going, you know? Well, diets don't quite work that way, you know? And bodily exercise doesn't work that way. But I'll tell you what, if you daily will take that walk or do those calisthenics or whatever, eat right, it will over time make you a healthier person. That's just the way it is. 
And, and reading the Bible and praying won't turn you into a spiritual giant in one day or one week. But over a lifetime, it will make you a powerful Christian. It's amazing how the Bible and prayer, on a daily basis, do you have a habit? The early Christians knew it was important. The next faithful saying is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Here it is. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What's that about? It's about rewards. It's about rewards. The early Christians had the reward in sight. They lived for the promised rewards to faithful servants. And they knew that if they lived for Christ, they would have positions in his kingdom when he came. They knew that there were rewards for faithful service in the here and now. And they did not lose sight of that. Fourth one is found in Titus 3.8. Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good works. And some people get confused. They say, well, is the Christian life a matter of faith or works? And the answer is yes. Because faith works. That's the book of James. Genuine faith produces genuine works. Faith works. And faith that doesn't work is not really faith. Because when we believe God, we live according to our beliefs. Love what the Amish man said. Somebody said, are you a Christian? He said, ask my neighbor. Because Amish people believe that faith works. Okay? Now, uh, we're not saved by works. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross by trusting in him. But if we are truly saved and we truly believe what we say we, we believe, it will make a difference in our life. And you can tell what you believe by what you do. Show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what you value. Okay? In other words, our life is lived out in terms of what we genuinely believe. The early Christians knew that. Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good works. We know that it will be worth it all. So the Apostle Paul then tells Timothy this faithful saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Let's take a look at that. First of all, we see church leadership is desirable. And he is talking to men, not women here. He's not using the term anthropos, which is used of male and female humans, people. He is talking to males as opposed to females. In fact, mature males, aner is the word here in the Greek. It means men as opposed to women, men. He says if he aspires, and this word is eregomai. It is translated in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. It is sometimes translated greed, longing for, desire. 
And so the first word he uses for desire in this verse, there are two of them, the first word is used of desiring money. Now be honest, men, have you ever desired money? I remember I was in a prayer group with a young man, recently married. It was just the two of us, so he's being very open. He said, Pastor, pray for me. I want a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff he wanted. He now has four kids and not nearly as much stuff, I think, as he planned on. Stuff. Our world basically aspires for stuff that can be bought with money. And I will tell you this, you will never be the man that God has called you to be if money is the bottom line for you. Many people today as adults, men in particular, regard their wealth as their report card. That's their grade. That's how they feel they're doing. And that is not the grade of a godly man. Money's important. We all need it. Jesus had a lot to say about it, and we need to handle it wisely. But I'll tell you what, it is not the ultimate goal of the Christian life is the accumulation of money. But that word is used for that there. Interesting. The other word that is used in 1 Timothy 3.1 for desires is epithemao, and it it is used by Jesus in Matthew 5:28 but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart epithemio is used of sexual desire so what do we conclude we conclude from this verse that christian men should desire church and family leadership more than they desire money or sexual pleasure. Am I talking directly, men? Yeah. Okay. I mean, the Bible speaks right to where we live. Sex and money. He says there's something that should be a greater desire than either of those things in your life, and that is to be the godly servant leader of your family and in your church that God has called you to be. How much do you desire that? You say, well, I got nominated to be a deacon. I don't know if I want to do it or not. I'm kind of busy. you know. Oh, you only have to meet once a month. Well, I think I could fit it into my schedule. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, man. Being a spiritual leader in the family and the home is something that every man should desire. One Greek philosopher was approached by a young man who wanted to be his disciple, who wanted to learn wisdom from the great philosopher. The philosopher didn't say a word. He said, come with me. He led the young man down to the beach on the shore of the Mediterranean. And then he walked out into the water. And the young man walked out into the water with me till they got in pretty deep. And then all of a sudden, the older philosopher grabbed the young man's head and pushed it under the water and held it there until he fought and gasped for air, for life. Finally, the older man let him up. He breathed that air in. And the older philosopher said to the younger one, when you want wisdom as much as you wanted air, you'll get it. That's desire, man. That's desire. These are powerful words. He says, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It is to be desirable to be the man that God called you to be. What are your aspirations? 
lot of confusion today about what is a man, about manliness. What is a man? Young man says, well, well, what does it really mean to be a man? Is it a matter of muscles? Well, some men do have bigger muscles than ladies, but, you know, it's not just a matter of muscle. Is it a matter of uh, employment, position, job, money, car, motorcycle, boat? Oh, now we're getting personal. Hmm. Yeah, what is it? What is it makes a man a man? Mechanical ability? What is it? Chopping wood? Living in the forest? What is it that makes a man a man? I believe it is personal responsibility. I believe a man is a man when he takes responsibility for himself and provides for himself and then learns to provide for others. In fact, the Bible says, if a man does not provide for his own, he is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. Men were meant by God to be the providers and the protectors of themselves and others. That is what a manly man is. How do they do that? How do men lead their families and thus lead the church. Go with me to Ephesians 5. There's a lot of confusion about this today. Southern Baptist Convention is meeting this week in Dallas. A lot of confusion over this whole issue of the role of men and women in the family and in the church. All kinds of conflict going on among Bible-believing people. I believe Ephesians chapter 5 provides the proper answer to this whole issue of the roles of men and women in the family and in the church. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. How does a man lead his wife? How does a man be the head of his home? By loving his wife. That's how. Dwell with her according to knowledge, says Peter, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. God says to every man, I'm going to treat you the way you treat your wife. Men, have you ever wondered why some of your prayers are not being answered? 
Your wife's been wanting that shelf out in the garage for a long time. Yeah. You know how to keep your wife from nagging you, man? Just do it. You know? God says, I will answer your prayers the way you meet your wife's needs. My, I have one brother. He's nine years older than me. And uh, he told me, I'll never forget how he told me. He said, you know, Dan, the reason why I'm deaf, my brother was, became stone deaf. He said, the reason I'm deaf is because I didn't listen to the Lord and I didn't listen to my wife. I don't know if he's right about that, but that's what he told me. Men, are you listening to your wife? Are you listening to her needs? Do you listen to her every day? Are you doing what you can do for her? You see, we lead by loving, and we love by listening. You say, well, I don't know what my wife wants. Ask her. She just might tell you if she thought you were going to do anything about it. We lead by loving. That's the Jesus way to lead. We lead by being a servant. Jesus, who is the Lord of all, the creator God, came to earth saying to people, what would you like me to do for you? And he says to a blind man, what would you like me to do? Those are the words of a servant. Those are the words of the waitress that's going to wait on you at the restaurant today. Yes, what would you like? That's the words of a servant. And God calls us as men to be the servants. That's how we lead our home. Not by barking orders. Not by being the commander-in-chief. Not by being the captain of the ship and everybody else is the crew. Okay? The Jackie Gleason uh, role of the head of the household. No, that's not the way. He says, no, we lead by loving and listening and caring. That's the Jesus way. And that's why he says later in chapter 3, if a man does not know how to manage his own house, how will he manage the church of God? Your new pastor is not being called to be the CEO of this corporation. Okay? Now the church is a corporation, and there are corporate things that will need to be done. But a pastor is one who is the servant of all. And he has learned to care for God's people by learning to care for his wife and his kids. That's why he says he should be the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Why? Because the way he leads his family is the way he will lead his church. My greatest challenges in life have not been being a pastor. My greatest challenges in life has been being a dad and a husband. Yeah. And hopefully some of the things that I've learned in being a dad and a husband have helped me to be a better pastor. Because the role is that way. The true preparation, the true Bible college and seminary for the church is the family. Because a pastor is to be a loving servant leader. Look at what Peter said, 1 Peter 2.25. 1 Peter 2.25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian. That's it, that word episkopos, overseer 
of your souls. The ultimate overseer of souls is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the one whose word is the last word on everything. A pastor is an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, an under-overseer, if you will, one who is put in care of God's people. And we will have to give an account someday for how we were under-shepherds of God's people, as everyone who is a husband or a father will have to give an account for our servant leadership of those that God put under our care. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. And what a beautiful work he did with the men and the women that we read of him encountering in the Gospels. He cared for people. He listened to people. He met their needs. He blessed them. And he was a servant to them. He did not come to be served, although he deserved it, but he came to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, what will be the final accounting of your life? The size of your house? Will that be your report card? Your retirement portfolio? Will that be your ultimate report card? Or will it be God's work in your wife, your children, and your ministry to God's church, God's people. Because when all is said and done, all we're going to take with us is the souls of people and this word. When everything on earth that we can see and touch and accumulate is burned up and lost to us, the souls of people and the word of God will remain. Why not invest in that which will last. And that's what godly men do. They know where the values truly are. So, 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Will it be gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble? What will it be? Turn the page of 1 Peter 5, where Peter speaks of this spiritual leadership in the church and reiterates this servant leadership matter. Even though he was an apostle, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as I felt your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, that's that word episkopos again, oversight, overseers, not by compulsion. They shouldn't have to twist your arm to be a worker in the church or to fulfill your responsibilities as a husband and father. Not by compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, that is selfish gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Be an example of what you want your wife and your children to be. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God has called us to servant leadership in our families and in our church. So the first truth is that church leadership is desirable because it is built on family leadership, which is a fulfillment of the work of Christ in and through men. The second thing we see in this verse is that church leadership is work. It's work. First uh, Timothy 5.17 speaks of those who work hard, work to exhaustion at preaching and teaching. You say, well, that's talking about preachers, pastors. I believe every godly man who is a husband and father is called to be a teacher in your home. It was so sad my wife and I were counseling with a high school senior years ago. She had a lot of problems in her life. And one of the things she revealed to us, she said, you know, my dad is a leader in the church, but he never mentions God at home. He never opens the Bible at home. I've never seen him pray at home. Oh, he's a leader at church, but he's not a spiritual leader at home. Shame on that man. Shame on that man. I talked to another young man. He said, you know the thing that impressed me about my future father-in-law? When I would visit the house of uh, the the woman he eventually married, he said, every night I would see my future father-in-law in that lazy boy chair with his Bible and his prayer list every night. Always saw him there. What do your children see in you? What does your wife see in you? Does your wife see you praying? Does she see you reading the Bible? When there's a question and a problem in your home among the teenagers, does anybody ever bring the Bible out and consult what it has to say? Dad, you're the priest of your family. You're the one. You're the one that should be opening the Bible. You say, well, Mom does that. Yeah, hey, it's easy for her to do, but God has called you to do that. Your children should see their dad saying, we're going to church today. Get your clothes together. We are going. Not just mom, okay? They ought to see dad before a meal say, wait a minute, don't start eating yet. We didn't pray. And then dad leads in prayer. Why is it so important? Because dad is the head of the home. He is the leader. He is to lead by example and to lead by love. And then we see it as a fine work. That word fine is interesting. It's a word translated good, Often, although it's not the word that speaks of being beneficial so much as being beautiful, noble. It is used of good fruit, of good works, of good seed, of the good shepherd, of a good report, of good doctrine, of the good word of God. He says it's good work, good work. But it is work. What work is it? Acts 6.4 says, We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It is something we do. We shepherd the flock of God. And the place to learn to shepherd the church is by shepherding your wife. One of my greatest discipleship blessings in my life has been to disciple my dear wife. What a blessing. What a good disciple she has been. She was not brought up in a Christian home. She came to Christ as a teenager. Uh, We met and got married while in Bible college. 
And she taught me a lot, and I taught her a lot, and I felt like my responsibility was to, first of all, be her pastor, to be her teacher, and then to teach our children together, the two of us, to teach our children, and now to have the blessing of passing the faith on to the next generation of grandchildren, and to see God at work in the lives of our children and answer to prayer, and to see the Word of God working in their life in a work that is not finished yet with any of us. But it is the work of shepherding, and it is the work that God has uniquely called Christian men to do. So, Christian man, what is your ambition? Well, I, I was thinking of a bigger boat. You ever see a man with a big enough boat? I always want that bigger boat, you know. They say the two happiest days in a man's life is what day he buys a boat and the day he sells it, you know. But uh, the boat, I don't know. I can pick on boaters because I'm not a boater. Now, motorcycles, that's another subject. But what's your ambition? What's your ambition? Is it that house by the shore with a big retirement account that you can trade your stocks happily while sitting at the beach with your laptop? Is that your goal in life? Is that your ambition? What is your ambition? I believe godly ambition for a godly man is to be the shepherd leader of his home and then to serve God in his church in whatever way God leads him to do so because he has qualified himself by his family leadership. If you don't have that kind of desire, and if your desires are more in the direction of sexual pleasure and material possessions, then you need to confess that selfish desire to God and be reminded of what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God might want you to have a bigger boat. I don't know. He might want you to have a, a, a better motorcycle. He might want you to have that, that house at the beach or whatever it is or whatever you, else you desire in life. But you must seek first his righteousness. Seek his right way. Seek to be the servant leader in your life and family and church. And he will add as much other stuff as he wants you to have. But that stuff all is going to burn up anyway. Let's bow in prayer. Do you love God? Men, do you love God? Do you love him with all your heart? Is he first in your life? If he is not, if you love yourself more than you love God, uh, you have business to do with God. You need to confess, I am a selfish sinner, Lord. I have centered my life around myself. I've made myself a God. Forgive me for that idolatry. Help me to put you first before myself. Help me to put my wife first before myself. Help me to put my children first before myself. Help me to have the right priorities in life, Lord. And if you've never been saved, you need to confess that sinfulness to the Lord and come to him as a guilty sinner and say, Lord, I'm not right. I, I'm not the man that I should be. Uh, I, I don't love you like I should. You're going to have to change me. You're going to have to make me new. I'm gonna, I need to be born again. I need a new life. 
my old selfish life is not taking me to the right places. Jesus died for our sins. You can trust in Jesus. He will cleanse you of your sin. He will give you a new life, a life that loves God and others more than yourself. God can change you if you will come to him and ask him to do that. And Father, I pray for the men of this church that you would endue them with that love that comes from you, whereby we can love our wives as we should, love our children and grandchildren as we should, and put you and others before ourselves. Help us with this, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Miles Satterfield will come to lead us in prayer. And then would you sing with us after he uh, prays, God be with you till we meet again. Thank you, Miles. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, once again, it has been good to be in your house, to listen to your word, to the message that has been brought to us today. May we keep it in our hearts and portray it in our lives. Father, in a world of uncertainty, you have given us something that is certain, something that is eternal through your son, Jesus Christ. Your word tells us the effect of prayer of a righteous man accomplished much. So we want to continue to pray for special guidance for our church family. We're in a couple of weeks. We will vote on our selected candidate, Pastor Isaac Moodyham, for Wake Chapel's senior pastor. We pray this is the man best suited to minister our church. We also want to pray for Pastor Mooneyham and his family. Or if selected, this is a big uh, transition for them also. And we just pray that you will guide and direct them. Thank you for your many blessings on each of us and as a church body. Guide and direct us. Be with our country. Be with our president and our leaders. You have given us a great country and help us to be good stewards of it. And Father, we thank you for all our missionaries, but today we want to lift up our mission of the week through the Bible. Father, we thank you for the gospel that this organization spreads around the world, the teachings of Jesus Christ. We just pray for them, provide their needs, both physical and financial. And Lord, as we are dismissed, Go with us, fill our hearts with joy and peace that only you can supply. Give us the words to come out of our mouth and to live our lives so that others will see Christ in us. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.